With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. MSU football gets the bowl game it deserves. Somewhere cold, in a baseball stadium, on the Thursday afternoon after Christmas, against a school with a tenth of the enrollment of MSU. Last week, Duke laid a dookie, but this week it was Butgers in town, and they made for a very Butgery game. We've got a special MSU hockey guest. Laugh at Lane Kiffin, answer your Twitter questions, and take a look at the basketball week ahead. And more. You're listening to Can't Read, Can't Write. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another edition of Can't Read, Can't Write, the podcast that proves to those Wolverines, roll tide, that Spartans can talk. I'm Mike Jones, joined as always by my good friend Kevin Grek. It's been quiet, a quiet week, Kevin. Frankly, too quiet. How are you handling the lack of MSU news? And yet, well, been, a lot of news. Oh, I've been soaking up every last bit. I, I'm reading all the headlines. I'm looking at all the, the pinstripe bowl hot takes. I can't get enough of it. I'm just on the edge of my seat right now, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Did you see that uh, the pinstripe bowl, when they were doing the press conference, had their web stream crash because of, quote unquote, too much traffic? Oh, yeah, because, you know, they can't handle it. It was like a denial of service attack. All of the all of the interested parties streaming from all over the world. Um, yeah, now I, y- you can't make enough internet bandwidth for an announcement like that. It's just not possible. <laughs> My guess is that they appropriately accounted for uh, the amount of Spartans that were going to be listening to that stream, did not account for the approximately 24 Wake Forest fans that did tune in, and that really tipped the scale. So if uh, Wake Forest has a tenth of the enrollment of MSU, proportionally 24 Wake Forest fans would be 240 MSU fans, if my math is correct, right? <laughs> sounds about right. That actually sounds high. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how many interested MSU fans were watching the Pinstripe Bowl webcast announcement? But if you are interested in watching the Pinstripe Bowl and don't feel like making the trip to New York City, and look, there's no judgment here, you know where you can watch it, Kevin? Uh, I heard that there's a a fine pub down in Ann Arbor, Michigan on Packard Avenue. There is indeed. Our presenting sponsor, as always, is Fraser's Pub in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Look, as a Spartan podcast, it feels a little weird to be to be pushing the Ann Arbor establishment, but it is not weird in this scenario. It is a fine establishment, very affordable, high quality drinks, uh, and indeed a great tap selection. Very Big Ten friendly. I couldn't imagine, and sincerely, we we like to talk about the wood paneling here, uh, but I could not imagine a better place to uh, enjoy bowl season if you're not doing it from the comfort of your home. Yeah. Kevin, uh, what would you before before most... we move on? Before we move on, I just want to say, what if HGTV went in to Fraser's Pub and tried to paint over the wood paneling? Would there just be a revolt? 
Because that's like the trendy thing, right? You, you paint over the beautiful wood tones and 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 stuff like. But what honestly, would you do? I I don't know that we could accept them as a sponsor anymore. Yeah, it we'd have would, to move on. It we we would have to sever ties because the the nice thing about Frasers, in addition to the you know number of TVs that make it easy to watch whatever sporting event you want and the great food and and wonderful tap selection. In addition to all of that, it is the the vibe in there. And you know, we poke fun at the wood paneling, but it really is a very comfortable bar to like hang out, it enjoy is. enjoy some drinks. It's clean, you know, you you wouldn't necessarily think that when we talk about wood paneling, but it is it's a very clean bar uh and it's a great time to hang out and you know, uh you'll meet some characters. And watch the Pinstripe Bowl. And watch the Pinstripe Bowl if you are not in New York City. Uh, I bet there's a happy hour during that time, too. Mid-afternoon at a bar on a Thursday, you're going to get some good deals. I don't know what they are, but they're going to be nice. We can tell you about one, though. Uh, The Bell's official Hazy IPA is their beer of the month. And you can get a 23-ounce Bell's official Hazy IPA. Uh, for the price of a pint, I believe it's four ninety five. Uh, so not a bad deal, especially with that uh, alcohol content. For sure. If you're looking to warm up a little bit more. Anyway, folks, uh, before we move on, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about how the show's set up in case you're tuning in for the first time. Uh, we are going to uh, first recap the, the news from the previous week in a segment we call The Green Wall. Uh, taking on some of the takes and going over some of the headlines. Uh, Then we are going to move on to Off Grand River, where we discuss some of the headlines. uh, What are you laughing at me for? Going around uh, the world of college sports and sometimes professional. And finally, we'll preview the week ahead. Uh, Of course, as always, we will take your Twitter questions. And here are very famous Nada sponsors. So, Kevin. Let's talk some football. Let's talk some pinstripe bowl. What are your could takes? have been could have been uh, the pizza pizza bowl, but it's not. It's the pinstripe bowl. In your neck of the woods, should we get Indeed. this away up front? Uh, are we? Is there a can't read, can't write tailgate for the pinstripe bowl on <sighs> Thursday, December whatever? I think I have out of town obligations that day. Sadly, unforgivable. I know, and considering that tickets are, I think, starting at like 140, uh, no thank you. Is that real? Is yeah. that what they're actually starting at? I, I think you can get some at 120, but you're like a row up, which would be fine for a baseball game, but definitely not a football game. When I mean a row, I mean like a whole section up. Um, look, I mean, the game's played in a freaking baseball stadium. Like, it is not made for viewing a football game. So I seem to remember the first time a football game was played in that stadium in a better podcast than this one would have looked this up to verify first. There was by halfway through, they were only playing towards one end zone, right? Because the wall was like too close to the end zone. So they had to, it was at Wrigley, the field up. Oh, Wrigley. Okay. Yes. Pardon me. Uh, but baseball stadiums do present challenges, is your point. Um, I mean, look, I think the Pinstripe Bowl has some cachet to it in that I weirdly make note of who's playing in it. Um, 
usually i don't remember years past but like it, it's a bowl that gets a reasonable amount of press um probably because it's cold and everyone's like why would you want to play there why does this uh, exist <laughs> right there's no nothing about this suggests uh any of the logistics that normally go into a bowl game went into this bowl game is it in a football stadium no is it warm no is uh is there a Steinbrenner uh trophy? Yes, of course. Why not? <laughs> like nothing nothing about it makes sense. You know, famed GM of a football No, no, that's not right either. Like it, it's So anyway, we're going folks. We're playing Wake Forest. Who knew they had a football program? I didn't. Um I think they're good at lacrosse. Right? Yeah. Sure. They that seem sounds like a right. lacrosse type of institution. So I'll give him lacrosse. Uh, that was uh, we're gonna hear we're gonna hear about on Twitter for that statement. There are former lacrosse players uh, in our listening audience, and they're not gonna take kindly to that. I would point out that the Big Ten is a, on a bit of a winning streak in the uh, the old Pinstripe Bowl. Wisconsin cool. annihilated Miami. Um, that's Florida, Miami. Uh, last year, thirty-five to three. The year before, Iowa defeated Boston College, and the year before that. Northwestern bests number 22 pit in front of 37,000 fans. So this will be attended, you know, minimum attendance at the pinstripe bowl, 37,000 fans. All those teams saw a bit of a rebound the following year. So maybe there is something to D'Antonio's reboot theory. Yeah. Pinstripe magic. Yeah. You know that, uh, that Yankee goodness. Um, speaking of coach D'Antonio, he, you know, had a press conference after the announcement and was naturally asked about, you know, some things we're all wondering about. First of all, are there going to be any staff changes? And he says he's still evaluating. Now, I don't really believe that. Like, I think he's made up his mind. Right. I mean. The 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 signing period for recruits is right on top of us. Right. We so are, all of these assistant coaches right now are recruiting. So right. if there is an argument to be made for why you shouldn't be separating from coaches now, that is probably the most coherent of those arguments. And by the way, you know, it, and we mentioned this, I, I think, last week, that other programs have already moved ahead and and terminated uh, some coordinators and assistant coaches. I don't think, no one fact checked me on this, but I don't think any of them have filled those roles yet. So it's not to say that Mark D'Antonio couldn't be having conversations with people. It's not uncommon for someone to know they're getting a job and no announcement is made yet because someone is in that role currently. That's not uncommon. Sure. You think this is sort of a back channels type of operation that's going on right now? I mean, it, it's not like they're going to be running a search because I, I assume they want to get someone in relatively quickly after uh, a termination or a non-renewal or someone accepts a new role and moves along from the program. Um, I, I, look, it, it's frustrating that we don't have news, but I'm not surprised by it, I guess. And I, I'm not necessarily willing to judge him for it because either it's Mark D'Antonio being who he is, or I think honestly, the more likely scenario is that it's Mark D'Antonio just 
being what every other boss is. Like, we're just not disclosing anything right now. Is there going to be a coordinator change? I don't know. I'm inclined to say that there will not be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I would be surprised. If there if there is, I think it's a co. It's a co that comes in. Oh, the man loves a co. Tons mm-hmm. of co's all over the depth chart, all throughout the organizational chart. The man loves a co. It does look like there may be some new blood injected from the transfer portal, though. There's a lot of heat where that's concerned. Yeah, and so that was something else Mark D'Antonio addressed in his press conference. He uh, he seems to have a, a bit of a bad taste in his mouth or a personal distaste for the portal, but did acknowledge that they have someone in the organization who is uh, trolling the portal and uh, looking for talent. It'll be curious. I, it, wh- where do you think, if MSU is going to add a transfer from the transfer portal, grad transfer or uh, hopefully someone who can get a waiver because, you know, coin toss on that. Sure. Where do you think they first look? We discussed it last week. I think they've got to look at quarterback first. I think it's worth evaluating the quarterbacks that are available, comparing them against what's currently available in the program and making a move. From there, I mean, you always got to look at the lines. I mean... Both sides of the ball. The line play was a limiting factor in the outcomes this year. Uh, I think we're excited about where some of the skill positions are headed with the existing talent on the roster. So that would be a lower priority for me. Maybe at running back, although that would be tricky because you've already got three running backs in the same recruiting class. So uh, I would look at the big, the beefy boys up front would be my first priority after quarterback you uh agree i think potentially someone on the edge uh, on the defensive line would be important sure um you know i'm i'm honestly less sure about the o-line and I, I know they're not good but in theory we have a number of people coming back who are promising as well as some people who would be recovering from injury who missed a lot of the season uh you know uh, Kevin Jarvis, who started at uh, left tackle a number of games and was good there, missed almost all the season and will be back. Um, plus, you have the three freshmen who did well. I don't know if I would put that actually as high of a priority, depending on how they reflect on that position. The place that I would be interested is potentially at secondary. Mm. Um they did get scorched at times this year. Yeah, and, and that may be a place that you can bring in a grad transfer. Short of uh, my man Julian Barnett, switching back over to that side of the ball. Uh, so Let's you'd just have him play both ways. There's precedent for that. Yeah. Do uh, you know, he can give, he can take. It's great. Um, and the if, if, if it was him and Josiah Scott, I could see that as potentially a lockdown uh, tandem. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe bring someone at safety. The, the point is that the secondary was not what we're accustomed to. And if we're going to be rebuilding slightly up front on the defensive line and a little bit at the linebacker position, they got to be locked down. So I think there's some excitement on the offense next year. And if we can get a little explosive, then I would just say we need a secondary that can keep us in the game. 
You know what was exciting and a little bit explosive? Rutgers MSU basketball. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Someone with a seamless transitions. Maybe we should just have you MC the rest of this thing. Yes. Uh, those who don't know, uh, Rutgers came into town and, uh, well, the game felt a little too close, right? I mean, the the final score didn't really reflect it, but um the game was tight for most of the the you know most of the time sure. uh we ended up winning pulling ahead uh 77 65 um in a game that i i think for me we can break it down a little bit more but i'm curious you know aaron henry was non-existent against duke had two shots mm-hmm. made one went 50 percent from the field <laughs> but uh was a non-factor and in this game, he shot a uh, very low percentage, but had 12 attempts. I think ended up with 14 points, most of them coming from the line. We needed that aggressiveness. Yeah. I, the season sort of hinges on him. And I, I think most folks sort of accept that as the truth at this point. Uh, and he needs to just sort of establish himself one way or another. Uh, it's sort of like accepted uh basketball knowledge that to you know win in march you need three guys going and he is you know if you take for granted that Cassius is going to be one and you sort of expect that xavier tillman will be the second aaron henry is your best candidate for spot number three so even if the outcome isn't there even if he struggles a little bit from from with his shot you need to you need to start seeing him, you know, really assert himself in that role. And, uh, and hopefully he'll just, you know, progress over time. He's got a shot. So as with the rest of the team, we know that they can hit these shots. They just have to start doing it consistently. I got a little bit of a hot take on that though, because you're right. The, the consensus, and I don't disagree that you need three guys going. I don't think Tillman is one of them. Mm. Tillman Mm. is, Tillman is only effective if there is a serious threat from the outside. Because what's happening right now is they're running the the pick and rolls with uh, with Tillman and uh, off of Cassius for the uh, for the ball screen, and everyone's just staying on Cassius because sure. they they know there is no outside threat to keep them honest on Tillman. Um, you know it, it, they can just clog up the lane. Cassius can't drive. Tillman can't shoot from outside. And and so, yes, Henry absolutely needs to get going. But in reality, I think it might be Gabe Brown who really needs to step up his game and and replace some of what Matt Quaid did last year. Matt, Matt McQuaid, McQuaid, sorry. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, how was, uh, how was Gabe's shooting, uh, fair? Two for six, three-point range, two for six on twos as well. So uh, not overwhelmingly good, but he's actually been one of the more consistent offensive uh, options on this MSU basketball team so far to date. So I would gladly accept Gabe Brown as our third guy going into uh, into March, but um, I mean, 
I would expect that when Rocket Watts comes back, and I don't know if we mentioned that, but Rocket Watts was out. Uh, I'm sure you did. My, you know, as, uh, I did. I did not. I did not. Okay. Rocket. So Watts, Rocket Watts out with an injury, uh, a strain. I think they're calling it. Um, it appears stress that he'll reaction. Also be out stress reaction, which MSU uh, basketball fans know all too well. I believe we're going to see more on that in the Twitter questions. Uh, I would expect though, when rocket returns that Gabe probably takes his spot back as the sixth man first off the bench. So, yeah. So then the question is, because as the outside, outside shooting goes, so goes Xavier Tillman Mm -hmm. and short of them finding legitimate outside threat, someone who's at least shooting 35%. From outside, mm-hmm. um, people can just stay in the lane, and you know someone just stays on Cassius, and and then that's that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I would be curious if at some point in time, Henry shifts up to the two, and Gabe shifts to the three, um, and Watts finds himself coming off the bench in relief of uh, of Cassius Winston, presumably. Or Henry, depending spot. on depending on where it's needed. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I'll accept that. So that's your latest round of speculation as we were attempting to recap what your Rutgers. Uh, but MSU does have a soft upcoming slate, um, which is a great time to retool. Uh, they've got Oakland, then at Northwestern, which is pretty much a home game, and then Eastern and Western at home. Uh, hopefully Rocket gets back sooner rather than later so that he can take advantage of some lighter competition to maybe find his shot. Yeah. And I, I'm going to go back for just a minute just to plug the uh, the homework that we did. Uh, it has been observed in the media that this Rutgers program does tend to gunk things up for MSU. I think Brendan Quinn of The Athletic uh, most notably made that observation on Twitter. We looked back at the previous Rutgers games, and that does tend to be the case generally. Um, The last year, last February at Breslin, number 10 MSU won by 11, but they were tied midway through the second half. November 2018, the previous game at Rutgers, number 9 MSU won by 11, but the game was within eight at certain points in the second half. So a little bit more out of hand, uh, January, 2018 at Breslin, uh, number four MSU was taken to overtime by Rutgers. Uh, that was the team with, uh, with miles bridges and Jaron Jackson. And then the previous game, December, 2017 at Rutgers, number three, MSU one by 10, but it was a tie game, uh, with 13 minutes to play in the second half. So, it is true that the Rutgers program does seem to keep around with MSU, so maybe keep that in the back of your head. Uh, but still, in my observation, a lot of the issues that we saw with this MSU team when they played Rutgers, we've seen with previous games this season. So, um, anyway. Yeah, they just they just make things ugly. But yes, you're right. The, the warts on MSU were still the warts on MSU during the Rutgers game. Indeed. Um, with that... We have our first not a sponsor, and it is our first returning not a sponsor. Uh, This episode of Can't Read, Can't Write is not brought to you, once again, by ZipRecruiter. We placed, uh, ZipRecruiter came to us to place a a high-profile football uh, coaching candidate at Rutgers. 
Now, at the time, they said they would take people with significant experience in dodgeball. Uh, they ended up going with a, an internal candidate, which ZipRecruiter was very disappointed about. Um, but they are ready. They are ready now to assist Michigan State football assistance because Montantonio doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. So uh, ZipRecruiter through Can't Read Can't Write uh, would like to offer their services up to MSU. Place an ad today, ten percent off if you use the promo code Hire Someone and Fire Someone. Once again, that is Hire Someone and Fire Someone. For ten percent off of a job posting on ZipRecruiter, for a football coach at Michigan State, and we know Bill Beekman with his accounting background appreciates a good uh, coupon code. Yeah, because <laughs> who better to run an athletic department than an accountant? Yeah, that's that's the first thing you go for. Uh, <laughs> all right, folks, we're going to head off Grand River now. Uh, cover some of the news that is uh, going around college football, college basketball, college sports generally. And first up is former Michigan State defensive coordinator and current head coach of Pitt, Pat Narduzzi, who commented about the criticism of Mark D'Antonio. Uh, Kevin, did. what did good old the Nard Dog? Oh wait, that's not it. That's uh, Andy from the office. Uh, what save that for the Twitter questions? <laughs> uh, what did Doozy have to say? Sure. Well, we'll just read this off. So, uh, of course, everyone was sort of hoping for an MSU Pitt matchup. Everyone uh, except for MSU and Pitt. Yeah, uh, folks with an interest in the in the uh, in the storylines <laughs> wanted to see that mentor mentee type of matchup. Uh, and he said of D'Antonio, "quote D'Antonio will feed off that. That's what he does. He's been the underdog for years." I think that people fail to realize is the game of football, it's hard to do it year after year. You have to think about the bowl games he's been to, the Big Ten championships, he's been in the playoffs. You have a bad year and everybody wants to get after you. Be careful what you wish for. He's a heck of a football coach and Michigan State Spartans should be glad they have him. Um, I mean, it's sort of the, the refrain that we would we would expect, you know, supporting an old friend of his, sort of leaving the door open for himself to come back to MSU at some point, you know, certainly not criticizing the administration or the program in any way. Um, I I don't know what you expected him to say, but at the same time, I think that this was a sincere statement. I think that Pat Narduzzi in particular understands that Mark D'Antonio, what he's capable of. Uh, certainly, I think members of this podcast have given Mark a little bit more leeway than other members of, say, the Twitter community. But, uh, I mean, it is true, however you slice it, that he is a great football coach. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what he does uh, next season. But uh, it was interesting to hear directly from Pat, even if, for the most part, this seems like sort of uh, boilerplate, you know, standard things that you would say, uh, in this situation. Um, he also made some comments about, you know, how this is just going to feed D'Antonio and build that chip, that disrespect, the disrespect is strong. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that it came I, up during his press conference. I, I also think that the quote that's interesting to me is be careful what you wish for. Sure. And, Look, I mean, even counting the the ten and three year with pretty much all of or a lot of the class that's graduating now, um, 
it's been a rough four years for Michigan State, but he's not necessarily wrong about that. As much flack as, and I think we gave a little flack for the program win hats, um, as, as D'Antonio got for that and going six and six and limping into a bowl game. Um, there is something to that. Uh, this is a that I think D'Antonio, in fact, has acknowledged in his press conferences. This is not where he wants to be, but it is where they are, and this is the minimum expectation for playing at Michigan State. And so, you know, it, look, it, we're probably going to annoy some people with these words, or I'm going to annoy some people, but there is something to that. It can be worse. It can Absolutely. be a lot worse. And just because someone seems sexy right now and you want to hop in bed with Luke Fickle, you know, uh, <laughs> that could be a fickle mistress, if you know what I mean. Again, look at <laughs> Nebraska. We keep checking in on them every so often. Remember, when, when, they've, when got, <laughs> they've got the coach they want, and look at the results. At, speaking of Nebraska, I got a question for you for our next yeah. off-grand river subject. subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Penn State uh, knocked off Maryland. In uh, basketball. Ner- in basketball. Maryland was at the time ranked number three or number four. Correct. Um, and is Maryland the Nebraska of football. And that is to say, are they just snake oil? Well, they've got better, a, sna- better snake oil, but still snake oil. I mean, they, they do have a ranked team right now, but uh, yeah, <laughs> certainly y- the expectations of the fan base versus the outcomes that that basketball team has produced. It is very Nebraska esque. Um, I, We've made slights to Coach Turgeon over there. Uh, it's not a secret that he's not highly regarded uh, in basketball circles, or at least in basketball press circles. Uh, I think we've made jokes that you know he'll find ways to mess the season up, and he found ways to mess that game up yesterday. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday. The game took place Tuesday. Um, so I'm willing to buy major similarities between the mask, the Maryland basketball program and the Nebraska football program. I think the difference is the Maryland basketball program in the right hands could be a lot more formidable than the Nebraska football program, which I think it's going to be difficult to do anything out in Lincoln. What do you think? I'm with you. 100% agree. Um, Look, Maryland got sold as a basketball school. I don't think this the facts totally back that up, but they are. Do you think they're a football school, first and <laughs> foremost? First and foremost. Um, they are, yeah, I guess they're a basketball school in the sense that uh, it's the thing they're better at, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> they're not a basketball school in the sense of deserving as much respect as they think they deserve. Sure. Um, speaking of schools deserving respect, bowl games were announced, and that, of course, means that the college football playoff was announced. Uh, the seeds are as follows. LSU number one, OSU number two, Clemson number three, and Oklahoma number four, which means we have an LSU-Oklahoma matchup to look forward to and an OSU-Clemson matchup to look forward to. I'm 
I'm curious. I heard a take that because Alabama isn't in the playoff this year, it feels different. It cheapens it, the fact that Alabama's not there? No, no. I, I, the The comment was more that actually it's, it's refreshing. It's more interesting because it's not just the same teams, though even though it, it kind of is. It's just it kind LSU. of is. Yeah. Yeah. This is LSU's you, first trip to the college football playoff, right? I, I believe so. Yes, that sounds that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's fair. I, I think most football fans will acknowledge there's really only so many programs that can go to the college football playoff. There's just such an inequity in college football that some combination of, say, 15, 16, maybe 20 teams are going to, to take up most of those spots. So none of these surprise me in any way, obviously. Certainly not OSU and Clemson, which are returning uh, uh, members of that class. Um, Oklahoma, of course, you know, in there as well. So uh, it, it's, it is refreshing not to have Alabama there. But again, at the same, this isn't like a whole new crop either. Yeah, well, so I want to go a little off script for a second because... Um, you know, to talk about playoff expansion, there's um, some dummy on Twitter who has a blue check mark next to his name that I don't remember or care to remember who care it is. <clears throat> but he he likes to tweet out so and so lost to so and so, so and so lost to so and so, so and so lost to so and so. In your you know um, quarterfinals for the playoffs. The point being that the regular season is your playoff. Um, I think that's a particularly dumb take. And someone else uh, mentioned on Twitter that if it was expanded, you'd be looking at really good teams playing teams that are not as good. Uh, our friend CT and TC, who normally gives us garbage. Uh, hey, hey now. Uh, hey now. He's a valued I, member of the Can't Recant Right community. I was speaking on your behalf, not mine. <laughs> anyway, uh, CT and TC tweeted something which I thought was actually particularly interesting, which was a bit snarky, but of course, no one watches the first round of the NCAA tournament because it's a really good team playing a really, you know, a less good team. And I thought that was particularly insightful because it would make the the college football playoff way more interesting if there was some upset action happening, some sure. cross-conference upset action happening. I would be interested in Appalachian State taking on somebody who who's in the top four. I'm interested in that game. And yeah, maybe they don't win, but maybe they do. And isn't that interesting? What's one of the biggest games in college football in the last 20 years? Oh. Oklahoma-Boise. Remember oh, I was... the Oklahoma-Boise game? Well, that is absolutely one of my favorite uh, all-time uh, football games, but I thought you were going to mention um, Appalachian State played somebody. Oh, yeah. I don't remember the outcome or the opponent, but uh, <laughs> no, I, certainly I, I think it's inevitable that this playoff is going to expand to eight teams. You're going to get the Power Five conference champions and then at-large bids uh, as well. Um I don't really buy this argument that the regular season presents de facto uh, playoff games because you you could just make that argument for why we don't need anything but a national championship game. We go back to the old BCS era, which this is clearly better than. 
uh, that Ohio State team wouldn't have participated in the BCS National Championship game the year that they won the national championship. So, and if you and if you and if you continue the football, uh, I'm sorry, the basketball analogy. Mm-hmm. Not that you get 16 seeds who are like, you know, going to the national championship, but the the point is, is it's still interesting, right? And that we have 64 teams in that playoff. And sometimes, sometimes if you're a school named Virginia and you're a one seed, you lose to a 16 seed. Or sometimes you're a school named MSU and no one wants to remember this. As a two seed, you get taken down right away. Yeah. And and, and so we, we hate those moments as, as fans of our own school. But when it's other schools, we love those moments. For sure. That's, that's I mean, University of Maryland, uh, Baltimore County whose uh, Twitter account was fire during uh, their mild run in the tournament. Like that was exciting. People rallied behind this small school taking down Goliaths. And so look, eight teams. Sure. If you want to make it 16 teams, I mean, the fact that the, the FCS can do a 32 team college football playoff. I don't understand. I'm not saying we need to do 32 teams, but I don't know why eight is a challenge, let alone 12. 16, whatever. Anyway, soapbox officially put away. <laughs> For now. Yeah, uh, in, until next week. Um, but we want to uh, highlight another story that we, we saw uh, bouncing around the Twitters a little bit that was kind of interesting to me, and it has to do with Kansas. And Kansas, notorious for being uh, associated with uh, Adidas, is being a little bit shady in another way. So <laughs> for those who don't know, Kansas football is terrible. Has been for a while, a long while. And they had hired a guy named David Beatty, who was their football head coach, and they fired him. And per his contract, he was due a, a large sum of money as a buyout. Uh, looking for the number doesn't really matter. It was a lot of money. Sure. And they gave him notice that he was being fired for no cause, and which is what triggers the buyout. They just thought he wasn't doing a good job. Then uh, you may remember Bill Self um, of Kansas basketball fame gets hit with some violations, but in that time, Kansas also self-reported some minor football violations. Specifically, it had to do with a, I think, a video assistant, some guy who cuts film. Sure. Doing some, some quote-unquote coaching. Uh, it is a, an extremely minor violation under NCAA standards. Definitely not allowed, but a very minor violation, and they self-reported it. And so what Kansas did is they looked back at this coach's contract and said, well, it does say if you have NCAA violations, we don't have to pay you. (laughs) And so they withheld millions of dollars from this guy for a self-reported minor violation of which teams self-report stuff like this all the time. Yeah. So this is boilerplate kind of language in coaching contracts. It's never been used in this way against coaches that if you – damage the reputation or cause, you know, NCAA, you know, 
sanctions upon the university, of course, you'll forfeit your contract. Uh, so I, I would offer two things here. One, if Kansas is going to take this route, they should have to fire and cancel the contract of any coach that commits any kind of NCAA violation. Uh-oh. <laughs> and two, it, this does seem a little myopic on the part of the administration and the athletic director. Like, what future coach wants to go coach at Kansas where it's tough to win if you know that they're going to fight you tooth and nail for your little golden parachute? Why would you bother? No, why, exactly. Why would you? Uh, you're Kansas football coach. You're going to get fired at some point. So you need that golden parachute. Yeah. So it's interesting. Kansas is, is exploring a deeply twisted loophole because in many ways, if you can self-report this nonsense, um, it, it really sets up an incentive for universities who are not happy with a football coach and who don't have a ton of money for it to start self-reporting some nonsense. But to your point, Greg, it sets also up a reputation that I don't know you want to live with. Uh, So Kansas has an interesting court battle going on right now. It's a little under the radar, but for anyone who's kind of interested in the intersection of law and, and sports, they've got a real fascinating battle on their hands that they are... I don't see a world in which they're in the right on, but it's also not clear that under the contract as stated, as it's written, but you know, they almost certainly wrote that contract and those things tend to get interpreted against the drafter. So without boring people with contract interpretation stuff, like it's, it's a fascinating battle they have on their hands and an interesting precedent for, schools in similar situations um so something to uh keep an eye on this seems like a good opportunity for a a spinoff podcast all (laughs) sports contracts interpretation all the time one hour and 20 minutes a week yeah tweet at us if you would if you would uh you know uh if we should start up a like a patreon account from just (laughs) sports and law um speaking of reputations we got one more off grand ripper off grand river topic uh we do indeed uh greg i'm gonna hand it over to you but the big news is that lane kiffin is headed to Ole miss the only school that i can think of that still flies some super racist shit on their helmets (laughs) joey freshwater back in the power five I think he went by tailgate reputation to decide what his next uh, (laughs) gig was going to be. You don't think it was uh, for the flag they fly? Um, It doesn't seem to bother him. (laughs) I'm kind of with Graham Couch on his, if uh, if I was in the Big Ten and I was recruiting against the SEC, I I might pull up some history books. But uh, explain to people who don't know about Joey Freshwater. Oh, Joey Freshwater. Do you want do you want me to explain the legend of Joey Freshwater? Or do you want me to actually talk about Lane Kiffin? Uh they're one and the same, correct? Yes. Uh yeah. so Lane Kiffin, of course, football coach, uh coached the Raiders, coached uh the Tennessee Volunteers, dumped them for USC, got dumped on a on a airplane tarmac after a bad loss. Uh, rebounded, went and <laughs> offensive coordinated down at Alabama, took this uh, 
took this uh, Central Florida. Is it Central Florida or South Florida? Whichever, whatever. Uh, took this job, and now he's back, back head coaching in the Power Five at Ole Miss. And the legend is that when he's out trolling, uh, trolling for for you know female companionship, co-ed uses, lady friends. Yes, he uses the name Joey Freshwater so that uh so that he flies under the wa- under the radar he's he's uh denied this of course publicly but there is uh evidence to suggest that it that it's true um wait hold I, on hold on if you had to pick between believing the legend of Joey Freshwater that is to say Lane Kiffin uses a fake name to go after <laughs> younger women uh at college campuses we'll just say or Jim McElwain, current coach of Central Michigan, former coach of Florida, who fire up chips has a picture in which he appears to be fornicating with a shark. Which, it, both of whom who have denied uh, these things. If you had to pick one, which would you believe is the correct? Oh, God, if I had to pick one. Well, which means uh, the other one is false. McElwain is now living in, in a. Uh, a booster's barn, I believe I read online. So I, do, you, do you think that's court ordered or I'm going to accept meme King Lane Kiffin, uh, in this, in this case, I kind of liken this whole scenario to like Lane Kiffin is the skeezy ex-boyfriend that like, you know, like girlfriends just like can't get over. And he just sort of like hangs around they're like athletic directors just like hear the siren call of Lane Kiffin and they can't get enough. Like if, <laughs> like if this were Casino, the movie Casino, Lane Kiffin would be the James Woods character and athletic directors would be Sharon Stone. Like meeting up with him at skeezy diners, that type of thing. I mean, I would be livid if MSU hired Lane Kiffin, mostly because other fan bases would just enjoy it so much that i couldn't handle it d'antonio's got us post meme as a program but uh it's gonna be good to have joey freshwater back in like a like a high profile type of gig yeah uh stars and bars baby Mm -hmm. uh actually we don't endorse the stars and bars here so um take that back screw you old miss and uh congrats lane kiffin you're getting more of what you deserve we look forward uh, to seeing you in the media. Yes. So, Greg, uh, tell us about our next not a sponsor. Oh, yes, of course. This week's second not a sponsor. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Balls. The Russian boxing team is taking a real hard line against the International Olympic Committee, who have given the Russians a four-year Olympic ban as a result of the doping scandal. Potentially, re- They're potentially refusing to participate in the Olympics that they've been banned from. I'll tell you, <laughs> it takes major cojones to give a ban the ban. And the Russian boxing team is proven they still got some left in spite of the roids. <laughs> no brains, though. No brains. Well, Just thank cojones. you. Thank you. Thank you, balls. Uh, we're very thankful uh, for you. Just shooting on over here and, and giving us a, another not a sponsor. Uh, and with that, Kevin. You know what time it is. Twitter questions? It is. It is time for some Twitter questions. Uh, first up is, let's see here. Um, 
CT and TC wants to know <laughs> I, what matchup in Michigan, Michigan State are you most looking forward to Michigan State owning Michigan in in basketball? Which positional matchup? Yeah. Uh, I think we you got to say point guard, right? Because that's like the tale that keeps being told of two senior point guards that are, you know, that have been a sort of like aware of one another their entire lives. And now they're leading these two relatively one very high profile, one fairly high profile program. And there are certain media personalities that are deciding that that uh, Xavier Simpson is better than Cassius Winston, which is wrong. But what do you got? Um, Marble on, uh, uh, what's that goofy looking white dude? Uh, Teske. That's Uh, how you know it's good. (laughs) I want to see Marble just accidentally throw a bow as he dunks on him. I I want to see that too, because if Marble's playing, it means MSU's up significantly. I, well, I we can get into that some other time, but I think that's an ongoing mistake of Tom Izzo. I don't, I don't want to criticize him for too much, but Marvel should be getting more time. All right, next up is from Rebecca Sawyer, uh, who asks, sports media consumers seem to fall into two camps. One of uh, sports is entertainment and my escape, and another of can't watch sports without talking about culture and society. The big players, such as ESPN and Sports Illustrated, cater more to the former. Or do you see podcasts in general and can't read, can't write specifically fitting into this paradigm? Uh, well, I, I think I was actually listening to this, uh, listening to one a, uh, today in the car. And I think that's where this question is coming from. Uh, I, I think that ESPN and sports Illustrated certainly have, uh, arms, the, the more of the, like, uh, you get your, you know, your beat writers that sort of co- cover the facts and then you've got other elements, you got your columnists and other elements of the, of the reporting core that get more in, in depth. I think most of the non-traditional media of which podcasts would be involved are sort of more on the culture and society side of things. We cover the intersectionality. We have a whole, we have a whole section off Grand river is mostly focused on that kind of stuff. Um, I can see roles for both, and I kind of disagree with the the notion that you have to keep them separate and sports is just an escape. But at the same time, I can understand why it's important to just sort of focus on the game and the indiv- individual matchups. Um, so that was a semi-coherent answer uh, to the question. The one thing I'll add is that since we've started this podcast, I find that I'm a happier human being because shit sucks out there. I I mean, this isn't a politics thing, but like no matter where you fall, like the news is not uplifting. And so sports can provide some escapism. But as Greg just pointed out, um, you know, sports and culture do intersect. And that is oftentimes fascinating because sometimes I think it is an examination of the best of us and the worst of us. And um, so even with a terrible six and six season from MSU football, it was a welcome relief from life. Other news. Yeah. Uh, so uh, next up, uh, John Hubbard asks, so for the pinstripe bowl, 
I'm a little confused. Are we <laughs> are we required to wear pinstripes if we plan on watching it? I only have solids in Seasucker. Is that okay if I stay home and watch it in my regular MSU stuff? Uh, is there MSU pinstripe apparel I can get before the game? Uh, my The first thing I, I thought of when I heard this was the old Charles Rogers jerseys that have a, a slight like pinstripey element to them. I think you got to bust those out for this game. Uh, and you've got to buy, you got to go down to SBS and get your own to wear at home while you're watching the game. What do you got? Well, I mean, obviously you can't wear seersucker because A, the color is wrong, and B, it's after Labor Day and before Memorial Day. Also, why do you, wear, why do you have seersucker? <laughs> serious, serious question. What kind of, like, sort of uh, Connecticut wedding did you have where you had to buy some seersucker? What's wrong with you? You should have donated that immediately. Full stop. I would anyway, think more Southern with seersucker. New Orleans, something like that. Fine, that too. Either way, something where, you know, uh, wealth is concentrated to the detriment of other people and it's bougie as hell. But anyway, uh, get now some stripes in your life. you intersectional. Get some stripes in your life. Uh, you don't need only solids. You know, spice up that wardrobe. But I think the appropriate answer is wear green and white. Period. Next up, Matt Fazier wants to know, do you think MSU will have more of an advantage playing an outdoor game in New York City cold weather than the home field advantage they could have in Detroit? Uh, I think the easy answer is just home field advantage is always a bigger benefit. Uh, but I do like this idea that the, the northern Michigan State Spartans are grizzled and can handle the outdoor weather, whereas the the North Carolinian Wake Forest uh, players aren't going to be able to handle it. Uh, maybe there's an element of truth to that. I think everyone would rather, I mean, removing that, you're, bowl you're, prestige, I think everyone would have rather had MSU in Detroit. You are so wrong on this because when you have 3,000 students who attend your school, uh, we have home field advantage no matter where we play. Mm. We'd have home field advantage in North Carolina. So... <laughs> Uh, we both have home field advantage and cold weather advantage. So I'm saying, look, and, and by the way, did you see a home field advantage when we played this year? Did you like not when it got cold? So, you know, I, I think New York city actually is, is weirdly the better of the options for a few reasons. I know Metro Detroit listeners don't want to hear that, but I think it's true. Um, Solja, Dan, coming back with another Twitter or with a Twitter question after being on the pod. Uh, wants one, to know keep this one PG thirteen, man. For the, well, yeah, for the Apple Cast. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, the segment we did an agree or disagree segment with Dan, and we decided to rebrand it as F yeah or F you, uh, which is just an agree or disagree segment. Lawyer and Kithier came into East Lansing together, and at some point they will transfer out together as well. F yeah or F you? Disagree. I think Kithier is here to stay. Uh, I think he's going to carve out a role on this team uh, in, in the front court. You? Uh, as someone pointed out, actually, in response to this, uh, Kithier has enough uh, PTSD from transferring that he won't do it again. He's not going to try it again. Yeah, for those who don't know, Kithier made a transfer, I believe, for his senior year of high school and was ruled ineligible to play because it, the MHSAA said that it was for athletic reasons only. And so I don't see him transferring. Lawyer, TBD. 
Um, Green is good, asks. When Watts comes back, it'd be nice to see Brown continue to start so that Watts can give Cash a break at the one and still rotate with Aarons, Brown, Hen- and Henry at the two and three. I'd like to see more Watts at the one than a lawyer. Your thoughts? You said this exact thing. Uh, you'd like to see Brown continue to start and, and Watts in relief of uh, Cassius off the bench with uh, with Brother Arns also coming off the bench as well. Uh, that's fine by me. Uh, although I think we've seen what we need to see of Foster Lawyer at this point. He, I, I think it's time to sort of give up on the Foster Lawyer experiment of him, you know, running the basketball team. So uh, I'm fine with this rotation you yeah lawyer at the two lawyer running the knights will play that's all i want to see at a lawyer if lawyers not running off a bunch of screens to shoot a three or just like sitting on the weak side waiting for something to come over to him i don't see a point uh next question from taylor anderson actually two questions uh why do we have such a poor history of foot injuries in basketball players uh, comes first to mind after the rocket injury reveal? Yeah, that's certainly, it seems like a theme. I don't know if it's a perception bias. I saw a metric last year about starts lost to injury in MSU basketball was actually fairly middle of the road, which surprised me. Although MSU football last year was very high. They lost a lot of starts to injury. So it it does seem like there's an epidemic of foot injuries in MSU basketball in particular. I don't know if it's the strength and conditioning that's been brought up. I don't know if it's the equipment, though every Nike program is using largely the same shoes. So uh, there are two guys sitting on the bench right now with foot injuries. So there's something there. What do you it's- think? And it's not like uh, the football season, your football team this season had it light on injuries either. No. Particularly leg and foot injuries. And it's not like uh, the the Lady Spartans in, in basketball also don't have their fair share of lower leg injuries. Look, it, I, I think ultimately we got to say we're not medical professionals and we have way more insight into our own team's injuries than we do into our competitors. Yeah. That said... When Solari, um, who's the beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, does his you know pre-game, pre-game matchup column, um, it lists injuries for each team. And at least in football, it always seems like there's one dude on the other team and like 80 Spartans who are sitting out. So I don't know, man. I, 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 wish, I wish someone did an authoritative analysis on this because it really is feeling like there's something up here. Um, next up from Taylor, uh, also why no one outside of the esteemed MSU hockey Twitter folks talk about the semi-resurgent MSU hockey program? Well, Taylor, uh, guess what's about ready to happen? We're going to have a not a sponsor and then we're going to address this question. Yes, we are. So our, our last not a sponsor, uh, this episode of can't read, can't write is not brought to you by jackets. That's right. The thing you wear when it's cold. Members of the media just want to let you know, apparently you're concerned that the open-air press box at Yankee Stadium for the Pinstripe Bowl is going to be cold. Wear a jacket. There are people who are literally paying to go watch this game. You are being paid to go watch this game. You are being paid to travel to this game. You are being paid for, or rather, your lodging is being paid. Your 
Travel is being paid. Buy a jacket. Stop complaining. Other people are there to enjoy the game. So jackets wouldn't like you, invite you to trip, nope, uh, to buy a jacket. <laughs> jackets would like to invite you to buy a jacket. Yes. Uh, not trip over your. Uh, so with that, let's head into our interview. All right, well, welcome back, and thank you to another Not A Sponsor. Uh, as promised, we have a very special guest today, uh, Jeremy Dewar, who uh, you can find on Twitter at JD underscore Jerbear, most recently famous for uh, connecting a bunch of people in the Lansing area with a very depressing Michigan State-Illinois game, uh, is, is here with us today to talk a little MSU hockey, because... We need something good in our lives. So uh, with that, uh, I, I, it feels weird to call you Jeremy, so I'm just going to stick with Jer Bear. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. Uh, my wife Jer Bear, is friend, uh, so. Uh, yeah, why don't you, I, I guess first, you know, tell a little peop, uh, the people a little bit about what your background is and, and how uh, we've come to recognize you as a bit of an MSU hockey uh, expert beyond just being a fan. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so grew up in the Lansing area. Um, my uh, grandfather, I was fortunate enough to have a grandfather who had season tickets to every MSU sport. He had a couple sons that kind of uh, got all the basketball and football tickets. So my mom, uh, before I was ever born, got into hockey. Um, so I do have the pictures of mom with a baby bump at Mun Arena. Uh, mm-hmm. And then pictures of the next season, because I was born in May, of being a baby at Mun. So uh, basically one of those things, uh, like you were probably, a lot of people have stories about MSU where you just start going before you ever even know another type of, uh, another way of life. Uh, just going to Mun every Friday and Saturday was normal for me. Um, so yeah, I kind of grew up going all the time. Uh, started playing hockey when I was about two or three in the area, uh, and went to MSU hockey camp, have all the pictures with Ron Mason and Rick Comley. Uh, thankfully I do not have a Tom and Astis one as I was too old. <laughs> um to uh do if i had to go to that hockey camp i probably would be not invited back at that point uh, uh yeah so just kind of grew up a big fan and then um I, as i was in college and stuff wanted to do some writing started to do uh, a little bit about msu hockey when i finished uh with chris vanini at the only colors gave me a chance to uh cover some hockey so i wrote for three seasons about tom and Astis, so I know it's been a tough season for you guys here. First year doing the podcast, right, in a tough football season. But sure. uh, three years of having to write of, uh, two times a week about Tom and Astis probably was uh, enough <laughs> to make me never write again. So, uh, oh. yeah, got got through that. Um, but, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's been fun to kind of uh, just cultivate a little bit of a, a following on Twitter based on loving an MSU sport. And uh, as I was at The Only Colors, I was obsessed with Danton Cole uh, coming home. So. Uh, basically, that's been my whole personality since he came back was to to cultivate a Danton Cole uh, uh, cult. Online. Cult of and personality. Absolutely. Uh, you see the lettuce in that picture. That's that's what you got to do. Man's got some chop. Speaking <laughs> of which, uh, so MSU hockey languished under under Tom Anastas for several seasons. That experiment just didn't work. But 
Dan Cole's been back a couple of years now, and this season seems to have some heat. Would you care to give us just like a light recap of what's happened to date in MSU hockey? Yeah, so uh, pretty decent season last year. They showed some, there's one of those where maybe the win-loss record or the finish in the standings didn't show it, but they were looking better, uh, but still finished last. So kind of came into the season thinking, a progress is not finishing last in the league and continuing to show that uh, they're going to be competitive on a nightly basis. And in the first half of the season, they've done that and more. Um, they had a pretty brutal stretch of the season here. Uh, they, The only home series they had in the month of October, I believe, was hosting top five Cornell. Uh, they went out early in the year and got some wins on the road. We're splitting a lot of series, so it looked okay. And then uh, basically the hot streak kind of started with sweeping Michigan uh, in a home and home and then coming off of that and uh, splitting with Notre Dame or actually getting a win, a tie with Notre Dame, who again at the time was a, I think they were sixth in the country when MSU played them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was after before playing Michigan, they got a win on the road at a, I want to say again, top five Penn State. So they've already got probably three or four top 10 wins. Uh, and they they themselves have got themselves tied for second in the league, which uh, after Taro Hirose left to sign with the Red Wings was probably not expected to be a hot start like this. So uh, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule. And, I, and for me, I honestly would keep pinching myself of like, okay, the shoe could drop this season. Uh, <laughs> they might. There's some underlying statistics which show that maybe it's uh, it's a little bit over their skis right now, but just enjoying it. Uh, it's it's fun to actually be competitive and go into every game, uh, not dreading going down two nothing because that's going to be the end of it. So yeah, so that's that's kind of where they're at. They're at eight and seven total, but uh, really going through a tough schedule, and their schedule is much more manageable in the second half. So if they can keep this up, they hopefully will host a uh, home playoff series for the first time uh, since the Big Ten changed up their playoff series. Uh, so, Jer Bear, you mentioned uh, the the win over Michigan, which is always worth celebrating. But uh, pop quiz before our next question: Where is the appropriate place in Ann Arbor to celebrate after a win over Michigan? I love oh, how you have can't to have our guests plugging plugging the sponsor. Oh, you have to go to Fraser's Pub. Uh, <laughs> listen, wood paneling walls uh, was a prerequisite for when I was doing house searching. Uh, because I just love the aesthetic and, uh, <laughs> I want to drink at a comfortable, warm place. Like you go in there on a cold evening, right? And you see some wood paneling. feels like it's 85 in there. Feels yes. Like it's a sauna. It's gorgeous. Yeah. All right. You win. So <laughs> next question for you is, uh, MSU has, um, some big games coming up against, uh, Arizona state who is weirdly good in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. So, they, uh, they the haven't been quite as is, good as Penn State, but close in their like rise. The the important question is: Can Danton Cole do what Mark D'Antonio couldn't, and that is get a W against Arizona State? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a school wide losing streak because uh, they actually uh, it's kind of a cool uh, little home and home. Um, last year, the hockey team also traveled out to Arizona. Uh, and was swept at Arizona State. So, yeah, we're on like a four-game school losing streak. So uh, I think Dan Cole can pull it off. (laughs) Um, uh, Number one is that we're playing in an actual Division I arena. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see 
where Arizona State plays, but uh, it is literally just like think of your local arena, whether at the Summit or wherever anyone lives. It's that. Um, really? Yeah, they never. Uh, sometimes they play games where the Coyotes play, but okay. when they have their normal home games, I think the capacity is less than maybe a thousand. It's like well, where a high school rink is. It is really bad. Uh, last weekend, the uh, Denver University was out there playing them and tried to troll Arizona State about it. And uh, then they got lost in that rink. So, uh, yeah, so I won't make too much fun of their rink. I don't want them to come after me more. But, uh, yeah, they. I think Dan Cole can do it finally, but they've had a really good season. They're actually ahead of MSU in the pairwise uh, at ninth in the country. So it's going to be another top 10 matchup for this team to uh, try and get a win over. That is great. What, uh, not just this upcoming uh, series against Ohio, uh, Arizona State, but just generally, what are some of the challenges that this team, this MSU team, has though? You mean schedule wise, like future schedules, or or in terms of the team personnel, what are, or challenges in the future? Yeah. What Jones wrote think... this question, and I I read it, so he set me <laughs> up. I think uh, I think overall, it's finding consistent scoring. Um, Going into the season, we knew the top line was going to be relied on with Lewandowski and Kodarenko. And luckily, when they've gone quiet, they have been able to find some depth scoring, but that can go away pretty quickly. Uh, so I think maintaining that that scoring is going to be good. Uh, early in the season, they really struggled with a pretty bad penalty kill, and they paired that with uh, some pretty bad discipline in taking penalties. Um, and that is something that, again, could always rear its ugly head at the worst time. So they've they've been better on the kill of late. Uh, so that's exciting to see that they are, even if they're going to continue to take penalties, they've been better at killing it off. But uh, that's probably going to be a concern. Um, but other than that, I mean, I think going into the season, my concern would have been in net. But John Letherman has had a really great senior year in net, uh, being leading the Big Ten in save percentage and really taking the job over. So uh, with that, consistency as long as he stays where he's been showing that he's been at uh they're going to be in every game so and so looking at the challenges maybe let's look ahead to the future uh how's the team looking from you know years to come if someone wanted to get in on the ground floor now maybe buy a package of tickets or somehow try and get in line for season tickets in the future what are the years coming up looking like how's recruiting etc yeah, so uh, I'm actually really excited about the next two years uh, as far as recruiting goes. Um, there's really no Rivals.com or a 24-7 version of hockey recruiting, so I basically have to follow it myself. But um, it's, uh, it's one that I've really been looking forward to uh, for probably about two to three years because just a little quick background, uh, due to the fact that uh, kids are eligible for the OHL draft in their year that they're turning 16, uh, college hockey recruiting begins a lot earlier. And it's not always just recruiting against schools. It's recruiting about a, an entire path. Because if a kid uh, even just goes to practice with an OHL team, he could put his NCAA eligibility at risk. So uh, you really have to get in early. Um, so a lot of kids to signal to OHL teams their their plan of development will commit really early. So. Uh, a lot of these commitments they've had have been two or three years out, and now they're just hitting their 18-year-old year this year. Mm. Um, 
this year's class is going to be pretty good. They're going to really build out on defense, and they're going to add another European player, which will put them at three now. So fun little uh, international flavor at Mun. But next year's class is the one that I'm really excited about and that people should get in early on. Uh, it's a class that features, uh, I want to say, we got here three, uh, three to four kids, depending on when they come in, off of the same Little Caesars roster, which was all coached by uh, Chris Draper. So it uh, should be exciting for people, like even if they're not big into college hockey or understand the recruiting, they can know that uh, you know if they follow the Red Wings at all or know who Chris Draper is, that they have a bunch of kids coming in that were coached by him and played with his sons. So uh should be some really good NHL-level talent over that class uh, to uh, to come in. So it's a good time to get in now before it really ramps up probably uh, you know another level or two from where Tom and Astis had it, uh, just because it takes so long to get your classes good. I mean, he uh, Dan Cole's done a good job of finding some late bloomers uh, that are older and coming in as 20-year-old freshmen. But uh, like I said, he's had some of these kids that are 18 now committed for over two years and they're still not coming for another season. So uh, it's a good time to get in, like you said. Chris Draper, most famous for his plastic surgery. <laughs> Agree or disagree? Uh, <laughs> no, Breck, what do you got uh, next? <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Uh, they did a great job. Good-looking man for, uh, for a completely reworked face, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and finally, just to, to wrap up, uh, you've got a writing background. Feel free to editorialize here. How ashamed should we be as, uh, as can't read, can't write the podcast that it took sweeps of U of M in Wisconsin for us to get a full hockey segment here on the podcast? <laughs> uh, not ashamed. Uh, I, uh, my attitude, uh, about college hockey has always been just try and grow it. Um, so I like to not shame people. They can come in wherever they're at, but, uh, and we're here to help them out. Hockey uh, has a really bad... I know you guys covered a couple weeks ago uh, the <laughs> some pretty ugly things going on in hockey. Uh, but online hockey is pretty awful of the hashtag please like my sport behaviors. Mm. And uh, I really try to avoid that. <laughs> um, it is ugly. It is bad. I People always uh, ask like what hockey needs to grow. And I usually say to get rid of hockey fans. Um, that would be a great start in growing hockey because... Uh, <laughs> They're not the most welcoming people. So, no, more than happy to be uh, take a couple of sweeps to do it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you got to earn you got to earn people wanting to come out. Right. So uh, they've done it now. And uh, hopefully they can continue to make that pay off. All right, folks, uh, that is Jeremy Dewar uh, or better known as at JD underscore Jerbear. You can find him on Twitter. He's a fantastic follow. Uh, and he also has a podcast, which he inexplicably hosts with a Wolverine called uh, the House Divided Podcast uh, and also does some writing at uh, Beneath the Pines. And just so people know, what's the what's the take on uh, Beneath the Pines? Yeah, so it's, uh, it, you know, we're a little bit in flux right now of uh, it, it essentially was uh, some of you, you probably know him on Twitter, uh, Jameson Draper. Uh, who also used to write with me at The Only Colors. And then uh, our favorite gift master, uh, crafty consumer, better known as Ross. Uh, we actually just, we had a, uh, a little bit of a Twitter DM uh, going on after the Tulsa game, where everyone was just losing their mind on Twitter over MSU football. And we said, <laughs> you know what? We've joked around about writing for so long. Can we just do something so we can just like try and be rational? 
Uh, and then the football season that we had happened. So maybe that was a bad idea. Uh, and maybe that's why we quit trying to write rationally. Tulsa um, was the writing on the wall. <laughs> it ended up being more, the people losing their mind, maybe ended up being a little smarter than us on that. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's one that we, uh, you know, we don't hold ourselves to a deadline. <laughs> We're not a part of like SB Nation or someone that's telling us to write and, and get things done on deadlines. So we try and just when we have time, uh, you know, I'm the uh, senior statesman of the group at 30 years old. So I have my life the most figured out. So that should tell you, uh, and, and I have a baby on the way. So that should tell you how little. Uh, oh, muzzle tough. Organization. <laughs> thank you. Should tell you how little organization we have on getting things done. So, um, yeah, it's just a fun experiment, fun, fun time for us. But Ross and I have actually been talking about getting back into writing a little bit and kicking around some uh, some postmortem on the football. So this is a fun MSU spot, uh, you know, just to come around and to see a little bit of a different flavor that doesn't have to do game recaps or any uh, any specific thing. We're just kind of having some fun with it. Awesome. Well, everyone, be sure to check him out. Uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. And congratulations. Oh, yeah. Little baby on the way. That's fantastic. I know. I another, got four more months. Another generation to be raised at Mun Ice Arena, I'm sure. Oh, oh, absolutely. It's already got, uh, we've already got all the hockey stuff. Already has skates. We're good to go. That was the first thing bought. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got to write it off as, uh, and it wasn't even me. I didn't push for it. That was the wife. She, But she wanted to do it for the Instagram uh, announcement photos. So I was like, good. I can go oh, yeah. buy skates right away. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm brainwashing my son. It's fantastic. We're all about it. All right, Absolutely. man. Have, uh, have a good one. And we'll be sure to have you back on later in the season. So uh, people can continue to get hyped for something good that's happening in MSU sports. Love to anytime. All right, Jeremy, thank you again for uh, joining us for uh, some insight about the MSU hockey team and getting us amped for the rest of the season, honestly. With that, we have a game to preview, and despite talking about hockey, it's not a hockey game. We are going to preview MSU playing Oakland at Little Caesars Arena this Saturday. Greg, what do you know? Yeah, so this is a this is a bit of a theme turning into a bit of a tradition. Going down to Oakland to play, uh, going down to Little Caesars Arena. Pardon me to play Oakland. Uh, this is, I don't know. This Oakland team's fairly middle of the road. We're talking like Ken Palm. So that's the statistical rating system for all of college basketball. Ken Palm rated one forty six. MSU down to Ken Palm number four in the country. So. Not much to expect here. This is a team that's already got losses to Delaware, uh, Northern Illinois, Toledo, Bowling Green, a huge 30-point blowout loss to a Maryland team that was just defeated by Penn State, as we discussed. Uh, so kind of your middle-of-the-road, mid-tier, horizon league type opponent. Uh, and we, though, should just say, we should just say very briefly that um, Delaware is a formidable opponent. If you don't know... They have the most original football uniforms you have ever seen. Um, it, it, you know, pause, pause the episode and Google Delaware football uniforms because you will be amazed there's not one like them in the country. Yeah. Um, and I believe they, they're made by a company that doesn't also make basketball gear. But anyway, continue. 
Uh, I would just, I would just say that Greg Campy does seem to always have a dude on that team, though. Whether Greg Campy, the coach. Or, yes, Greg Campy, coach of uh, the Michigan State University Oakland campus, uh, uh, Grizzlies, Golden Grizzlies, uh, Mister Golden Grizzly himself, Greg Campy, and this year is no different. Uh, with preseason All Conference uh, forward Xavier. Uh, Hill Mays, uh, six, seven forward on the team. Uh, dude had sort of an interesting run. He took a mid career red shirt, uh, and decided to change his game up as a junior. Uh, so he's killing it. He came back, uh, filling up the buckets. Uh, he's got a good mid range game. He's averaging like 16, 15, 16, Dude also crashes the glass, gets a lot of boards. So keep an eye on Xavier Hill Mays and uh, kind of expect MSU to roll in this one, uh, which is good. As we discussed earlier, uh, MSU has had uh, quite the schedule to date. So getting this Oakland team, you know, playing Eastern and Western, uh, having its second, you know, Big Ten uh, conference opener at Northwestern. Uh, these are all good games to be playing here uh, to close out 2019 uh, and get ready for conference play. Yeah, and, and Oakland is oftentimes more interesting, exciting, though I don't believe they've ever won one of these matchups. No, um, they haven't. Took but, MSU to overtime at yes. uh, when MSU was number one, I think. Yeah, so Oakland Oakland has been interesting in the past. By all accounts, in theory, this should not be an interesting Oakland team, and we should enjoy a quiet, well-founded victory. Right? Cheers. Cheers. Uh, with that, folks, we are going to wrap up this episode. Thank you again to JD underscore Jerbear, Jeremy, uh, for joining us and giving some hockey preview. And of course, thank you to you all. If you can, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show and, and share it. That would mean more than, uh, than anything else to us is, is please retweet the show and share it with other people. Um, and with that, Kevin, go green. Yeah, get yourselves down to mun and go white. That, that feels inappropriate. <laughs> just, just do it right. Go green. Go white. <laughs> thank you. All right, good night, everyone. Good day, whatever, whenever you listen to this. Bye.